Thank you for listening to the Motion City Church podcast, where, at our core, we are about leading people into an authentic, growing, and thriving relationship with Jesus. Today, we are in week four of our teaching series, The King's Speech, A Summer in the Sermon on the Mount. Let's listen in. All right, so last week, awesome, we talked about Jesus' love for the law. That's kind of where we were. And we wanted to get the basis that Jesus loved the law, and we should love the law too. Does everybody remember that? Okay, and we talked about some of this, the lawy things, and Jesus loved the law. That's what was important. And we came to the idea that in this entire speech, in Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, the thesis of the speech is uh, verses, really verses 17 and 18. And they say, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So I got to look a little more at something that I don't think I've ever looked at in depth and then got to where the end of the knowledge I could find was and was like desperate for more knowledge. So that to say, my knowledge base of what I'm about to say is limited and over like the next year, I will know more and then you can come back and ask me next year, okay? But the point is this, Jesus in the first century Jewish land was a rabbi. And at this point, when he's making this speech, that's all the people know him as. At this point, a few people may know him as Messiah, but not the majority. John surely knows, but his disciples aren't really sure. They don't even know him as God. They know that he is a different kind of rabbi. He happens to be a prophet as well. But they don't recognize him as anything more than that. So when we're reading this, we have to read it through the eyes of Jesus as rabbi. We can... After we read it that way, we can look at it and say, okay, what does it mean that Jesus Christ says this? But we have to look at him as Jesus the rabbi, Jesus the teacher. So what is a rabbi? A rabbi is a teacher of the law. In the first century, they discussed the law earnestly. That was one of their things, is they would talk about um, the smallest pieces of the law. If you look in uh, Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is bringing curses, I guess is the best way to put it. There's like seven woe statements. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you. And then he says what they do and what they should do. So woe to you. You tithe the mint and the cumin, but you forget the big parts. Woe to you. You are really good at washing the outside of the cup but the inside's still dirty. You're like a whitewashed tomb, but this is here. And what is he doing? He's arguing. He's making a rabbinical argument against the Pharisees. 
That's what they do. And, and to be clear, the scribes and the Pharisees loved the law. They didn't argue about it because they didn't like it. You ever seen two people arguing about the Bible and you just get really turned off by the theological argument between two Christians? That's understandable. But realize the reason they're arguing about it is because they both love it. There is a deep love. I don't argue over things I don't love, right? I don't argue about stop signs. I don't love them. But I will argue about something that is theologically important to me. Why? Because I love it. So these Pharisees would argue about the law, not because they thought it was just the thing to do, but because they had a deep love for the law. And again, Jesus, as a rabbi, loves the law. So as I looked this up, um, I came across one website that was kind of funny. It had some good sources, but like the title of it was weird to me. It was like, Jesus, Jesus was a Jew, or something along those lines, like this idea that most Christians don't know that that's where Jesus that Jesus was Jewish. And I don't know if that's true or not. I, it's not been my experience. But if you weren't aware, Jesus was in fact Jewish. Jesus did in fact follow the law. And so all the things that we talk about for rabbis apply to Jesus in this time frame. And so as I was looking, um, I actually found a, a, a modern-day rabbi who was interviewed and, and talked about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And he said, in all honesty, a lot of those things we don't disagree with. A rabbi in that day, a Pharisee in that day, a lot of the things that he said, they would not have disagreed with. When he, we'll talk about him in a second, but when he says, you have heard this, but I say this, there's a piece of that that's very controversial, but his conclusions weren't. But they, again, they did find something controversial, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, well, you know what? We're going to read it now, because that's what I have in my notes, and that makes more sense. So if you have your Bible device, Matthew chapter 7, we're going to go to the very end. So we're going to skip to the end of the book, of the sermon, to, uh, to kind of understand what's going on at this part. And we're going to read verses 28 and 29. Now, this is not part of Jesus' speech. What we're about to read is Matthew's commentary on Jesus' speech. Okay? So verse 28 starts, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike they're teachers of the religious law. Unlike their teachers of the religious law. So it wasn't that what he said was different. It was how he said it. And now we're going to pray. And I'm going to pray for me. And you guys can pray for me if you want to. Jesus, in all seriousness, I need help. All right, so now we're going back to Matthew 5, and this is where the marathon begins, okay? Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 21. Are you ready? 
You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, whoa, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in dangers of the fires of hell. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember someone has, some, has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge, who will hand you over to an officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. If that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Verse 27. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown in hell. Even if your hand, your good hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 31. You have heard the law says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Verse 33. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you made to the Lord. But I say don't make any vows. Don't say by heaven because God, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth because the earth is his footstool. And don't say by Jerusalem for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Don't even say by my head for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple yes I will or no I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Verse 38. You've heard the law says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat also. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Verse 43. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the good and the evil alike. Nope, good and the evil. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? If you're kind to only your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Okay, there's a lot there. Did you guys get a lot of that? And what's really cool about this is you could literally go into each one of these, and we'll, we're going to go over them real quick and talk about them in a second. But the point that Jesus is making is bigger than each point. The sum, I can't, the sum of the whole 
is greater than the sum of its parts. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. I knew that was there somewhere. When you put all of it together, you get something that's more important than each individual piece, right? And this is what he's saying. He's saying that I have the authority to explain this law. Again, nothing Jesus was saying was really that radical, according to some that I've read. That Pharisees of the day would have agreed with some of the things he said. They would have agreed with lust. And they would have, did, like right now, there are some really religious Jews who will not look at a woman in the eye for fear of lusting after her. Those are legitimate concerns that they have. And we can say, well, Jesus was pretty radical when he said this. But from what I've read, some of those things weren't all that radical. They were right in line with rabbinic traditions. So why would Jesus do that? Well, what he's about to do, what he's about to say, like, hey, I am God, and when I forgive sins, they are forgiven. And when I die, I'm going to rise again. That is very radical. That's a different level of radical than what he's saying here. And right now, he's laying the base work. He's saying, look, guys, I'm going to teach you some things. But again, what changed, what's different from him than all the other rabbis is the authority of his words. He's not saying as other rabbis would. So you've heard it said this, and rabbi so-and-so said this, and this rabbi said this, and I say this. Rabbis would traditionally pull from other teachers, other scribes, other Pharisees, to come up with a complete picture of the law. But Jesus, as God, the one who gave the law, is the only one who's capable of saying, no, 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 this is what it is. When it says do not murder, it means don't even be angry. Because if you're angry with someone, you've already committed murder in your heart. If you've lusted after someone, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And the authority with which he said it was the difference. The Pharisees never came up against him and said, the teaching that you have is wrong. The Pharisees came up against him and said, the fact that you're calling yourself God is wrong. So what does that mean when we look back at last week? Last week we said we should love the law and that Jesus loved the law. And we should have affinity for the law. Well, if the argument is the Pharisees were mad at him because of his teachings on the law, then we could dismiss what they were mad about. But that's not the case. They weren't mad because of his teachings. They were mad because of his authority. So the difference between us and the Pharisees isn't the law. The difference between us and the Pharisees is who we think Jesus was and is. We believe that he was God. Sent here to die for our sins. And the Pharisees, some of them eventually believed that. But at this point, they weren't there yet. So we have two options. We can either say the law is worthless. And that Jesus said whatever. Or we can say, no, the law means something. And it's something we should cherish. I think, based on what we've read, 
and understand about Jesus, that the law is very important. So let's look at those things that Jesus talks about really quickly. And I mean that. So in verse, stepping back, in verse 21, he says, if you, commit adulter- or if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. I got angry last night. Just want to let that, throw that out there. Some people said some things that I was like, whoa, you need to calm it down. And I got very frustrated. I don't know if I was angry, I guess, but I was very frustrated. And I went to say something, and I went to say it in a very not nice manner. But then I stopped myself, and I said it in a more palatable way. So instead of calling them an idiot, I just presented information that showed they were an idiot. Okay. I don't know if that makes me better or not, but whatever. That's what I did. And uh, I really like, it says, if you call someone an idiot, uh, I think the King James says, if you call someone a fool, you're in danger of judgment. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. For me, that's been like a really key verse when it comes to uh, talking with people. I will say a lot of things, but where I draw the line is cursing someone. I try really hard not to call people idiots. I try not to call them stupid. I try not to call them jerks. I will say what you're doing is stupid. And I will say that you're acting like a jerk. But I think there is a difference there between those two. If I say you are stupid, that is a curse. That is mean. And as Christians, if we're out in the world calling people names, that's bad. And I mean, like, if you say you're dumb, I'm not talking about the big bad words. I'm talking about, like, you're a poopy head, right? Like, if you call someone a poopy head, it sounds asinine, right? Like, whatever, poopy head. But in all honesty, you're, you're saying something to the identity of that person, and you're not viewing them in the image of God. So don't do that. Anger and name calling. Next, adultery. You've heard the commandment that you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. Is anyone confused by this one? I feel like we should hit it because I think it's very important. But don't look at someone with lust unless that person is your spouse. In which case, it's not adultery because they're your spouse. That's how that works. That's what adultery is. Adultery is a sexual relationship outside of marriage, just in case we were confused on that one. Awesome. Good stuff. Divorce. You have heard the law says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery. This is one where the teachers of the law might have differed with Jesus. And it's not like he eases up on the law. 
right? So often we hear, oh, we're under the new covenant of grace. The law is, I mean, there's things to be explained for sure, uh, but Jesus doesn't say, oh, no, divorce is fine. No, he says, look, they say you can just divorce someone. I say that's not how this works. And it's a really strong statement. I, uh, we had to do, in college, we had to look at this, and we had the whole Sermon on the Mount, the whole class had a, a section, and they had to write a lesson over it. And it was like, you had to write it for a, a good-sized church, like 100 people, and it has to be applicable to all ages. And, of course, I got this set of verses, which is probably the hardest thing to write about for kids, right? Like, hey, so your mom and dad are divorced, and they each have other people that they're married to, and they're committing adultery. That's a tough, it's a tough one. But Jesus is really, really firm. Now, does that mean that, like, once someone divorces or remarries, they have to go back to their original spouse? That's a whole other can of worms. I'm not going to open it. But... Jesus is pretty clear. Once you're married, unless someone in that marriage commits adultery, divorce is not an option. Again, he's not taking away from the law. He's explaining it and saying, no, no, it's probably more severe than you think. Teaching on vows. You've heard it said that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. But I say don't make any vows. Um, a lot of times, if you're not familiar with how the vow system works, because it's weird, um, it was like, um, me, Hadley does like the pinky swear thing, right? And I said, do you understand what that means? Like, if you don't do it, I get to break your pinky. And she's like, no! I'm like, yeah, pretty much, that's what it means. Like, someone would say, I swear to you by my horse that I will do this. And if they didn't do it, guess what? The other person got the horse, right? It was like collateral on a promise. But so often what it did is it gave someone an out, right? It'd say, hey, I swear by my horse that I will do this. And then if they didn't want to do it, they would just give them the horse to get out of doing the vow. And Jesus says, that's, no. <laughs> if you say you're going to do it, do it. If you say you're not going to do it, don't do it. Stop swearing by things. It's a little weird for us today because we don't tend to do that, except we do, like when we buy houses and we just let them get foreclosed on because we don't want to pay. We don't let our yes be yes and our no be no. We do it, just letting you know. Revenge. You've heard it says that the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. This is probably the hardest one for a lot of people. I'm not going to, I don't want to say any more than that because I don't want to anger people. But this one's hard. Of all of Jesus' teachings, like we can do, we do a pretty good loving our neighbor. Sometimes we do a good job forgiving others. But when someone's mean to us, what is the first thing we want to do? Respond, right? Defend ourselves. I remember the time, like, Jesus really made this clear to me. Um, there was something going on. I had to be really general, so I apologize, but there was something going on, and 
I wanted to go fix the problem. I wanted to step in and say, what's wrong? How can I fix this? And I remember clear as day, God said, you better not do that because I'm working on this one. And so in one of my wiser moments, I said, okay, God, (laughs) if that's the case, then I will let you do it. And that day, later on in that service, that person came up to me and we talked about what was going on. When someone says something against you, when there is something going on around you, the better choice is to always turn the other cheek. Because revenge isn't yours. It's God's. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you have to trust that he will take care of you. Sometimes that's his direct intervention, and other times it's other people coming to your defense. This is one of the hardest ones. Of all the things Jesus says, this is one of the hardest ones for us today. Because it's so natural for us to just lash out and defend ourselves. And then finally, love your enemies. I even think this one's easier than the, the revenge one. But we have trouble with loving our enemies too. Jesus says, you've heard it say, hate your enemy, but I say love them. And I don't think he says it here, but there's another place where it's, you know, you'll heap coals of kindness on their head. There's an idea that when you are different than the person attacking you, when someone comes at you and they're just like, and you're just like, "Mm mm-hmm, it changes their attitude. And instead of being able to come back at another retort, a lot of times they're taken aback because your attitude is so calm. So this is all coming from Jesus the rabbi. He's making a change to people's understanding of the law. Everything we just said is not a contradiction. It's not an abolishment of the law, but is a fulfillment of that law. It's a continuation. It's saying, look, this is the fulfillment of what was said. You've heard it said, but I say. And it's in the power and authority of the one who made the rule in the first place. God is saying, it says don't murder, but when you're angry in your heart, you've murdered. And the writer of Hebrews catches on to that. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 16 It says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. I want to read this, because if I don't, I'll mess it up. Are you ready? The writer of Hebrews is telling his listeners how Jesus fulfills the law. And in this verse, he's quoting Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33 about where the law is. When we accept Jesus as Lord, he writes his law on our hearts and on our minds. And we love the law because we love the lawgiver. Let's learn to love the law. I want to read one thing 
before we go. This is uh, one of my favorite things that I have. Uh, it's a commentary on the book of Leviticus. How many of you can honestly say that you have read through the book of Leviticus and enjoyed it? Right? It's rough, okay? But I remember, like, the last time I read through it, looking at it and seeing just little pieces that I hadn't seen before. And little pieces of the law that were so important to what Jesus did. And how even the law that governed the priests is important. So I want to leave you with how I learned, or one of the ways I learned to love the law. And I got this book. I haven't read all of it yet. But when I opened it, I, got, I just read the introduction. And I was like, oh, this is so good. So this is the author writing. Thus, when I started to research Leviticus, I found myself on the ground floor. Early on, I discovered their rituals are meaningless in themselves. Only when seen as a set of symbols do their inherent values come to light. I shall cite an example from some dietary laws. You know the dietary laws, the ones that are really interesting? Quadrupeds, four-legged animals, that qualify for the table must chew the cud and show split hooves. It's Leviticus 11, chapter 3. These criteria sound absurd, but consider they effectively eliminate the entire animal kingdom from human consumption except for the three domestic herbivores. Cattle, sheep, and goats. Moreover, these are the same three animals permitted on the sacrificial altar. The implications are clear. All life is sacred and inviolable. Only these three stipulated quadrupeds are eligible for the human table because they are eligible for God's altar. The dining table symbolically becomes an altar is carried further, or no, and all the diners are symbolically priests. And the salt, and salt the meat, oh, I missed something here, because they've got, like, parentheses, and I'm trying to read past them. Above all, the table is transformed into a sacred altar, and the meal must be treated as sacred, a time for thanking God for the repast, requesting a blessing for the future, and engaging in conversation befitting the sanctified meal. So we look at the law and we see that sharing a meal together is so much more than sharing a meal together. It's coming together and being around each other in the altar. And we see this transferred to Jesus at the Last Supper. They ate a meal and then did the Passover feast. The Passover, the, what we call communion now. That little section was like the end. That's not all they ate, believe it or not. And then we go into Acts, and it says they shared a meal in their home, right? And then we look at uh, 1 Corinthians, and Paul is like, look, you guys are doing communion wrong because you're not, the sanctity of the table isn't there. So all of that from Leviticus a book that often we try to read through as quickly as possible because it's a little boring. But it is the law. 
it's the law that Jesus loved. It's the law that the rabbi explained. And it's the law that as we dive into it and understand it more and more, we will love it. The king in his speech is not trying to abolish this. He's trying to show his followers a greater love for it. So that when the new covenant comes, it doesn't do away with this. It fulfills it, completes it, and we understand it better. So as you go today, you're like, Matt, that's a whole lot of stuff. I'm really confused right now. But based on what I understand from the law that we've talked about, you should go be nice to someone and not hate them. And you should also go eat together because eating together is part of the law and it's something we should do. Let's all pray. God, thank you so much for all that you've done for us. God, is, uh, as I study this section of Scripture and think about what the Apostle Paul wrote, I'm encouraged that you didn't mean for the law to just go away once you came, Jesus. God, help us to love the obscure parts of Scripture so that we can understand the joy of Josiah when he discovered the law. We can understand what Paul means when he says that it was a good thing that we had the law. God, let us not fall into a trap of frustration over things that we may not understand. Holy Spirit, illuminate those things as we read through Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. We thank you for all that you've done for us. And as we go this week, help us to fall in love with you and a law more. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast. We hope that you have a great week. We would love to invite you to join us at Motion City Church every Sunday morning at 1030 at Falwell School in South Minneapolis. To find out more information about Motion City Church, please go to www.motioncitychurch.com or you can follow us at Motion City MN on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter.